The history of television is a history of failure. For every television series that lasted years and years, there were dozens that lasted only one season or less. But did they deserve to die? Or were they... Cancelled too soon? Welcome back to Cancel Too Soon, the podcast where we review television series that lasted only one season or less. My name is William Bibiani. I'm a film critic for various places online. Everybody calls me Bibbs. My name is Whitney Seibold. I'm the other guy. You're the I'm guy. A, I'm a film critic. You're I the re- one with the sexier beard. I review stuff and <laughs> beards. You review beards? I review beards. Review and, my beard. Uh, uh, uninspired, little patchy in places. B minus. Mm. I can live with that. That's fair. That's fair. I can handle that. Uh, so all this month on Cancelled Too Soon, we are reviewing television series that were based off of DC Comics superheroes that didn't last more than one season, because that's how it works. Um, and it's given us an opportunity to catch up on some things that are some of our most requested shows. Last oh. week, we did the Justice League live-action television pilot from 1997. And this week, we are reviewing one of the Biggest and most ambitious superhero shows of its time. Mm -hmm. Um, It's one of our most requested shows. It's got a big cult following. And in a weird way, it's still living on today. We have a lot to talk about, so we're just going to jump right in. Let's talk about The Flash. It will only happen once. What's that? And when it does... Hey, Murph, You'll want to be there. The Flash. Catch the very first episode Thursday. The Flash. The Flash came out on CBS in 1990. Ran from September 20th, 1990 through May 18th, 1991. 22 episodes, including a feature-length pilot that cost $6 million. Oh, gee, that's huge. The average episode of The Flash cost over a million and a half dollars, making it the most expensive series of its time. And I think at at that point, uh, ever. At that point, for a regular series, that's really expensive. That's not cheap today. And and it looks fine. You see the money up there. Oh, yeah, it's impressive. Uh, it came right on the heels of Tim Burton's Batman, which had come out just one year before. And Batman, it, it's it's kind of difficult to appreciate just sort of the long reach Tim Burton's Batman had over pop culture for we're a couple of years. No, I think we're still living in its we're shadow. Still, yeah, it's just extended we, and gotten a little hazier. Kind of are, but... Um, the Flash is, takes every cue, every creative and visual cue from Tim Burton's Batman. Uh, mm-hmm. They got Danny Elfman to do the music. Uh-huh. Uh, they, they they got Shirley Walker to do the rest of the music, uh, and that's what happened also with Batman the Animated Series, which okay. was super important. And we're going to talk about a little bit how Batman the Animated Series, which would come out about a year, uh, it came out in 1992, uh, mm. September of 1982. Shortly, shortly after, but yeah, a lot but, of the uh, stuff that showed up in that show started here. It really did, and, in some weird, unexpected ways so, that no one talks about. If you like Batman the Animated Series but you have not seen The Flash, by all means see The Flash. 
Flash. Absolutely. So uh, it also had really similar production design mm-hmm. to uh, the Batman movie, the There's 89 movie. A lot of fedoras, um, a lot of old cars, yeah. a lot of just retro aesthetic. And and this notion that uh, it takes – that the superhero world is slightly different from the real world. That's something uh. Tim Burton introduced that we lived through throughout the entire 90s. Which a, I think a, a lot theatricality. Of, uh, I think a lot of uh, fans of the new comic book movies kind of resent that approach now. That mm-hmm. that it feels arch. Yeah, that the superhero can't exist unless the world is also kind of strange. But yeah. I think that a, a lot of that has to do with special effects technology. Well, I think we so could too, make a lot of that look real or natural. I think I think that's just that one approach. What mm. what Tim Burton did, and there's just not enough can be said about what Tim Burton did with Batman because it was a character that people in the comics world had taken seriously for a long time, but in the mainstream culture. People hadn't. He was still Adam West. It was still very goofy. Mm. And what Tim Burton did was he took some cues from Frank Miller and Mm. some of the more interesting comic books of the time and infused it with a lot of German expressionism and... A lot of his own personal interests. Absolutely. But what he created was a character who could be taken very, very seriously. But what he did was he warped the world so that it felt like a place where a guy dressed like a bat would be comfortable. Mm. What Christopher Nolan ended up doing when he rebooted the series with Batman Begins was he changed Batman to fit in a real world. Right. So that it seemed plausible that all these things we take for granted about Batman might actually happen in the real world. That's a great take, and but so is Tim Burton's. And that's the take of a lot of the Marvel films, at least the ones that don't take place in like weird cosmic realms. Like mm-hmm. uh, You look at Spider-Man and Iron Man and Captain America. Their, their approach to the characters is trying to make them as realistic as possible. Well, especially the more recent ca- uh, Spider-Man movies. I think mm-hmm. the, ca- the, the Sam Raimi ones were a, a, little, little, yeah. a little broader, but I, I they still were. referring specifically to the newest of the Spider-Man mm-hmm. films. But yeah, yeah. Uh, So The Flash came out in 1990. It came out in the heels of Batman. So yeah, it takes place in... Uh, an imaginary city, central city, and it it is this really kind of heightened universe where uh, uh, a the Flash might exist. Yeah, um, uh, the the premise of the Flash is basically the premise of the Flash. It always has been. Uh, uh, Barry Allen. Well, Barry Allen's a Silver Age Flash, but uh, uh, a, a cop named Barry Allen. Yeah. Uh, also, is uh, he's like a forensic scientist. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, he's in a lab doing forensic scientisty policey stuff. Mm-hmm. He gets hit by a bolt of superhero giving energy and uh, turns into a superhero. Basically, uh, that's it, that's it, all there is to it's it. It's very basic. It's a lab yeah. accident. Uh his like I guess his particles speed up and he finds that he can move very very quickly. Yeah, he can also react very quickly so he can also like catch bullets and stuff. Yeah, and he can think real fast mm-hmm. while he's doing things. So he can perform complicated tasks. Mm-hmm. He's not just running across the room. Um, this particular version of Barry Allen. Now again, Barry Allen was the second Flash in the comic books. Before him there was a Flash named Jay Garrick. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the show, Barry's brother is named Jay. And he's so played there. by Tim Thomerson, who actually looks a lot like Jay Garrick from the comics. Um, but Barry is is a combination of the Flashes from the comics, Barry Allen and Wally West. Barry Allen was the police uh, uh, scientist, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of the sort of the look and feel of his world is very Silver Age. Again, it's very broad, a little retro. Uh, but a lot of the sort of more youthful elements mm-hmm. of Barry Allen, he he's, he dates a lot, and yeah, he's very he has a, he's very has a silly as well. Different girlfriend every yeah. episode, pretty a, much. A lot of those are from the more youthful approach to the second version of the flash or the third i guess technically uh uh, wally west um so he's so he's a bit of a of a hybrid of all of these characters uh he's played by an actor named john wesley ship uh who first off he's great he's really charming he's very handsome Mm. he's capable of being very goofy and being very serious sometimes in the same scene Mm. which is very impressive you know him from a lot of stuff he played uh james vanderbeek's father in dawson's creek uh he was in the never-ending story 2 
Uh, and he, more recently, he and a lot of other actors from the show have shown up on the new version of The Flash. The 2014 and that I think one started? I think it was yeah. in 2014. And what's kind of cool about the new version of The Flash, which I'm way behind on, so I can't talk about some of the more recent things that have happened on it. Uh, the, the creators of that show clearly really liked the yeah, 1990 yeah, yeah. version. It's well, full of references to it. And John, John Wesley Shipp plays, I think, the Flash's father, father in yeah. the new one. Okay, Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, uh, the other uh, main character, uh, Dr. Tina McGee, mm-hmm. played by Amanda Pays uh, from a very underrated movie, Oxford Blues, uh, and also Max Headroom. Mm-hmm. She shows up as a scientist named Tina McGee. To the extent where there's all of these little mini references to it, I and after a while, the other, the more recent version of The Flash starts dealing with alternate realities. And I'm wondering, and I don't think they've done it yet, if the 1990s Flash is simply an alternate reality in this universe. I don't think that means the show continues, well, I, I but I think it means that it lives on in some way, and I think it, that's cool. It means that the, the makers of the new show uh, have openly acknowledged the, the impact and the popularity of this show. Mm-hmm. Um, it was clearly cancelled only because it was too expensive because yeah. anybody well, who's well maybe so but i don't know uh, anybody comic book fan or non who saw the flash and thought ah oh, that was wrong they did it incorrectly there, they did it badly there are things that don't work in the show and we'll talk about them mm. but it, it's so but, ambitious and it's it they it's about as good as a show like this could get at the time uh-huh. but you're right it is super expensive and the other thing that factored into uh there, there's two other things that factored into its cancellation uh it's ratings were bad. It mm. were bad partially because it was one of those shows that got juggled from night to night. Yeah, this is before, hard to find it. This yeah. is before DVRs, so if it's, if your schedule, if the show schedule changed, you might not be able to watch it anymore, and mm. then it's gone forever. The other thing was, it initially aired opposite the Cosby Show back yeah. when that was a juggernaut, uh-huh. and The Simpsons. Also, back when that was a juggernaut, those were on at the same time. So the the battle was already between The Simpsons and The Cosby Show. Yeah, and this other one decides to plop in in the same time slot. It's going to be killed. And it feels like counter programming. You got two sitcoms mm-hmm. and an action show with a lot of appeal to kids and mm-hmm. younger, you know, cool, you know, demographics. But everyone, cool was, demographics. Well, everyone was watching The Simpsons. The Simpsons was the cool demographic. Yeah, you were yeah, cool yeah. if you watched The Simpsons at the time. So what they did was they decided for a little while to try to, like, own it. And they actually had <laughs> ad campaigns that were all about how all the cool kids are watching The Flash. This is I found, really cool. a, found a fun, weird clip for you right here. This is really great. This is one of the ad spots that aired around the time that The Flash was on opposite Cosby Show and The Simpsons. Blow off. Cosby, run away from another repeat of The Simpsons and catch The Flash Thursday. It did not work. <laughs> Blow off Cosby. Oh, is Cosby on? Yeah, it's like, <laughs> whoops. Well, oh, should shit. be watching. <laughs> God. Idiots. Anyway. Uh, um, the show was created by actually some cool actual people, as far as I can tell, at least as far as their career goes. Actual people, not fake people. Well, I mean, it was it, their career was interesting. Yeah. This was created by Danny Bilson and Paul DeMeo. Danny Bilson and Paul DeMeo wrote The Rocketeer, mm-hmm. which is one of the best superhero movies ever. <laughs> they have also wrote a whole bunch of really cool, maybe not great, mm-hmm. but really cool low-budget action sci-fi movies that, for the most part, are totally worth watching. Uh-huh. Stuff like The Eliminators, which or, is or one just, of the... Just Eliminators. Oh, is it Just Eliminators? Yeah. But it's like, it's one of the so best... The, the ti- it's one of the best romancing the stone with a cyborg and time travel movies you'll ever see. 
Uh, yeah, a, a time-traveling supervillain has to be stopped by a ninja, a mandroid, an Indiana Jones knockoff, and Denise Crosby. Yeah. Like, they all team up. <laughs> uh, they also... Uh, you're, if you're not sold, I have nothing else It's for on Blu-ray now, and it's awesome. It's, it's, it's bad, but it's really good bad. It's, uh, like, intentionally exactly they, what it is. They did another film that has a very similar appeal called Arena. I love Arena! Arena, is, it's, it's a, a low-budget uh, human fights space monsters on a space station in space yeah, science fiction movie. It, it takes place, it, it was it was made several years before Deep Space Nine came out, and it includes many of the cast members uh, of Deep Space Nine and Babylon 5. <laughs> and it takes place at a space station in the future where all these awesome-looking aliens are part of like this big fighting tournament, and there's like a human who's going to compete for the very first time, even though he's quite literally physically outmatched. Mm. Like, this is one part where he fights like a 10-foot-tall dragon creature. Uh, fist only, fight it. But, but that, <laughs> fist fights it. L- luckily, the puppeteering is so awkward on that creature that he can beat it easily. <laughs> well, yeah, but it's still neat. It's a uh, neat movie. Arena's so good. It's Arena's really, really so cool. Great. They did transfers, and they did a couple of TV shows, including The Sentinel, mm-hmm. which was uh, lasted longer than The Flash, and uh, starred Richard Berge, who you recall from um, mm-hmm. Point Pleasant, and apparently... He was the actor they originally wrote Barry Allen for. Oh, no kidding. All right. Yeah, Richard Berge from The Sentinel. He was originally, I don't know if it was scheduling or what. He ended up playing a different character later on in the series. Um, but he was originally written for him. And it was also offered, before it went to John Wesley Shipp, mm-hmm. who was did a great job, it was also offered to Jack Coleman from Nightmare Cafe and Heroes. He would. I think he would have done okay. They all would have been good. Yeah, I just yeah. think John Wesley Shipp, just, he nailed it, I yeah. think. Um, so... Yeah, that's that's the Flash. I think we got. Oh, and the other main character, and we'll talk about some of the supporting characters who pop up, uh, is Julio Mendez, played by Alex Desert. Mm. He was on Boy Meets World. He was in Swingers. He was in Becker, and he was in PCU. He's really great in Becker. Do you ever? He, I never watched Becker. He plays the blind best friend in Becker. Oh, that's he's, cool. Yeah, he, he, he's he's really good. He's a very great. good actor. Awesome. Uh, well, uh, there are other uh, other characters that crop up in every episode, even though they're not credited mm-hmm. right at the head. Uh, um, yeah, there's a pair of comic relief cops. Yeah, who are, uh, oh, what are their names? Uh, Boomer and Flake. Bellows? I forgot. Bellows is one of them, and the other one's Hang on, Murphy. I got it. Bellows I and Murphy. It. Yeah. Bellows and Murphy are two cops who show up in every episode, and mm-hmm. they, yeah, they're sort of like the face of the police force, yeah. and they're always having some sort of wacky conversation about sandwiches or how one of <laughs> one of them might be the Flash, because the Flash's secret identity is a secret. One actor who shows up in almost every episode, mm-hmm. and it's weird because he would eventually become a bigger TV actor than this, mm-hmm. uh, is Richard Belzer, who plays the main yeah. TV anchorman. The, the the reporter who's constantly reporting on the going comings and goings of the Flash, yeah. Richard Belzer. He doesn't he actually have a lot to do, he's just in almost every episode giving exposition, and occasionally being a creep. There's this one part where uh, the Flash <laughs> and Tina Agree to be part of a telethon. Barry Allen, not the Flash in full costume. Oh. Like, you know, just answer phone calls at a telethon, and Richard Belter's character is hosting it, and he comes on real hard to Tina, and she slaps him, and uh, every woman in the room applauds. Yep, yep. <laughs> he, he gets his come up, and so you know, that's, that's. Maybe not enough. I don't know how far. Hopefully, uh, I didn't go much further but, than that. Uh, but yeah. the relationship between. Uh, Barry, Bar- Allen, and Barry Allen and Tina McGee is uh, is very contentious. There's a lot of sexual tension. There's a mm-hmm. lot of romantic tension. There's a lot of will there, won't they? And luckily, they they do. They only do once in an alternate yeah. timeline. <laughs> yeah, it's actually it's actually a dream. It's a dream, and in the future. Right. That's what they do. But th- what's actually like, they have really great chemistry together. Yeah, I love. Yeah. Their working relationship yeah. is very, very appealing. And you buy that they they would be kind of attracted to each other, mm-hmm. but also that they're actually just good friends who work well together and have good banter. I, I think that 
think they have a lot actually, of great chemistry. I think, I think that there's it's actually fantastic. something there. I think they do a good job of it because in the mm. first episode, uh, Barry is actually dating someone else. It's very serious. They almost get married. And then that breaks up between episodes because they decided to write that character out mm-hmm. of the, the show. Uh, and I if, feel like if you have the DVD box set, she still has a, that character still has a portrait on one of the discs. Yeah, it's like well, why she's yeah. she's only in the pilot. That's yeah. anyway. It's, it's weird. She, it's it's Iris. Uh, uh, it's Iris, by the way, who's a main character on the new show. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, they decided they didn't need her. They realized that uh, John more, fun, went, more fun to have him as a single guy getting about town. Single, but also just his chemistry with uh, uh, Tina is so good mm-hmm. that we don't need another main love interest. That's it. They're so That's the they have a natural relationship. They're both very intelligent they both speak on each other's wavelength but the fact that he just broke up with someone he wanted to get married to actually justifies why any romantic tension they're not touching right now mm. because it's a bad time yeah, yeah and then it just never coalesces and we can all we've all been there well, i think we're just you you had feelings think, for someone but it just wasn't a good time and it's never happened i also think that's better for a long-term tv series if you break that tension right away yeah then it becomes something uh, it becomes a different show yeah uh so yeah and i think they were able to sort of sustain that very believably now there's there's Tina, in particular, is the support character who shows up in a lot of action shows. Mm. She's, uh, what do they call the, it in the, Spider-Man Homecoming? The guy in the chair? The guy, yeah, the, the tech guy, the computer yeah. guy. Yeah, she she's, does a lot of computer stuff. She's on the phone with Barry a lot. She's doing a lot of the tests. But she is maybe the best version of that character. Not because she's super intelligent. She is. But because she's a fully realized mm. character. And every scene she's in, she approaches it with intelligence and humor and strength like well, and she sticks up for herself she doesn't need, she's not constantly in need of being rescued she sells that she's genuinely interested in what's going on yeah. uh, a lot of actresses especially when they try to cast like a babe in that role it's so offensive mm-hmm. when they do that they're, like they're some, going for this this sex appeal above yeah. all and if they mm. and and personality so they, just doesn't seem to be important to the showrunners mm. which is probably really frustrating so, for the actor too yeah so the actress you know she's put in like sexy outfits and she's not given a lot in terms of characters so she's just trying to give whatever she can even though she's being underdirected yeah and, and it makes the character less interesting yeah here so, it's a great confluence where I mean, she's allowed to look beautiful it's interesting when you watch it all like when you binge it all in a week how many different hairstyles she goes through <laughs> over the course of the first season like every episode sometimes more than one hairstyle per episode can't, that they're just trying to find her look and they just can't do it can't, can't be as bad as Kate Mulgrew in Star Trek Voyager no I think, like every I think four it's worse episodes, she had a new hairdo this is every episode oh, it's geez. it's pretty intense but um you know she she dresses very classily she dresses very comfortably she mm. looks very lovely but they're they're very rarely except unless they're going out to a gala or something do they ever try to like throw sex appeal mm. on her awkwardly That's, which is something we shouldn't even have to talk about but it happens so often in these shows it's so nice to see a show that didn't really yeah, do a, it that a much. trope especially from shows at the time and, yeah. and it's still going on it's yeah. not like it's dead uh the sex appeal was all laid on john wesley's ship actually yeah uh he's a studly studly dude yes, and there are more shots of there are more like beefcake shots of him like sitting in a darkened room while the the reflection of rain from the window is dripping down his body or he's just sort of sweaty and laying across a couch he's got this great costume and it was like the first post batman costume because before tim burton's batman mm-hmm. superheroes wore tights 
Yeah. That's what they wore. Batman wore armor. Now, it was impractical armor, but they just worked within the film. Mm. You know, they, they had to make it a plot point in Dark Knight that, oh, you want to turn your neck? Mm. Yes. <laughs> that would be really useful. <laughs> it, it, it was armor, and a lot of, I remember when Batman came out, a lot of people complained about that fake musculature. They tried to give him sort yeah. of like this big fake rubber chest. Yeah. It's like, well, it's impractical, it just, but it looks kind of neat. Like, well, but it looks kind of neat. And, you know, Tim Burton's excuse was, well, I mean, he's, he's dressing up. Why not give himself fake muscles as well? He also yeah. has little pointy it's ears. It's intimidating. There yeah. you go. And it makes and it convinces so, people that that's actually what he looks like. That was yeah. also kind of the approach here. The suit he wears is something that Tina invented, which is supposed to be like frictionless. And I think she got it from another project, uh, but it's yeah. still it was invented for this kind of purpose. Uh, the idea because, is that he moves so fast that his clothes can't take it, so it's this high impact suit right, that right. can handle a lot but of, of punishment. It also has the fake musculature. Yeah. Uh, it has a mask because he in the first in the pilot episode he goes up against criminals. He wants to protect his identity. Wears a mask. Makes sense. It's a hood over yeah. his face. Not entirely convincing. Still looks like him. I don't think the hood looks that great on John Wesley Ship's face. He I looks think it a little, looks really good from certain angles, but they don't always film him from those. Yeah, angles. yeah, yeah. So there are certain angles where, it, like, for some reason, it makes his face look misshapen. Mis- this is something that the new <coughs> show, uh, the new The Flash, I think does better. Not just because, you know, the costume's better. I mean, mm. they had um, they had Colleen Atwood do the they costume. Do the new ones, yeah. yeah uh, for that and Supergirl. Mm. And um, so, like, the, the, that costume looks really, really great. And it looks really, really practical in a way that this looks a little bit more presentational. Mm. But um, another thing that they do and they think about in, this, in the new show is... If the Flash is talking to someone he doesn't know in real life, mm. he just talks through the mask. You know, no one's probably going to recognize him. But if he's talking to anyone he knows personally, he vibrates his face a little bit so that they can't tell it's him. And he's also doing the same with his vocal cords. Right, like, right. Makes him sound like this. You know, <laughs> oh, rah, rah. Like, they, they don't it, do that a lot. But yeah, they yeah, don't do that in the say. new. They don't do that in in this old series. And mm. so it still has to deal with a lot of the old tropes. Why don't they know it's him? Uh, a lot a of mask. and there are a lot to just sort of buy that. There are a lot of episodes in which people kind of figure out it's Barry and he has to find some way to like what? convince them it's not. My favorite reveal of his identity was in the clone episode, but that's later on. But uh, <laughs> uh there there's a uh and he has the, the lightning bolt symbol on his chest, which he designs himself because he goes up against a gang that also has a symbol. So he wants to sort of present himself as a rival gang, essentially, which is where the Flash he symbol wants, comes he from. He wants something that they can be, that enemies can be scared of, but everyone else could rally behind, uh, which is fine. There's no explanation for those goofy little wings on his head. Uh, they they kind of they do, did, though. Did they say, like, it keeps his neck straight so no, his neck doesn't whip around? The wings, his... it's the same thing they ended up using in Batman Begins. That's where they put, like, the communication... Here, so she can talk to him. Yeah, but he can just have that in his ear. He doesn't need these big, gigantic wings. I know, but wings. that's the explanation that they got. Yeah, man. It's, it's... it's fine. They look neat. <laughs> I don't care. It looks fine on the costume. There's just no yeah. practical need for that. The pilot episode is it's pretty good. I kind of wish there'd been a better villain for it, but the basic premise is uh, there's a rogue motorcycle gang, mm. like, dominating the streets of Central City, and Barry's older cop hero brother, who is a beat cop, Mm. and uh, gets all the glory, uh, played by Tim Thomerson, who is awesome. Uh, He is in charge of the motorcycle squad that's responsible for taking these thugs down, and Tim Thomerson dies, Mm. uh, and Barry, who coincidence, got hit with the lightning, it's not not connected to this plot in any particular way. Uh, He dons his, his suit, teams up with a scientist who was making sure that all the speed stuff wasn't killing him mm-hmm. and he goes off on hot pursuit and he takes down this evil motorcycle gang and that's basically it it's mm-hmm. pretty effective because 
the drama, the, the actors are good enough that this very simple baseline drama, Oh My God, You Killed My Brother, mm-hmm. reads pretty well. I mean, well, you, got, it, you got M. Emmett Walsh to I was play about their to say, dad. It, 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 we're, yeah. we're peppered through with a lot of notable supporting players. We're establishing the universe, and this is actually a really good, efficient way to do all of that stuff. It does a good job. Uh, it doesn't feel bloated. It doesn't feel too expository. Luckily, they had a lot of time to work with, because I think mm-hmm. when it aired, it was two full hours. But... Uh, but yeah, they since they didn't rush anything, they were able to sort of fold everything, all the information we needed to know. And in order to do that, you needed kind of a simple story. Yeah, but the simple story works because it's got a family dynamic. And again, you got M. Emmett Walsh as Barry Allen's father, mm-hmm. who doesn't really disapprove of Barry, but doesn't understand him. Like his his son, one son is a lab rat, and another son is a beat cop, just like his old man. Mm-hmm. So he's way closer to Barry's older brother. And Barry feels very distanced from it, which is another motivating factor for why he now wants to become more... More of a crime fighter. Yeah, more yeah. of a crime fighter, more of an old-school crime fighter, mm. much the kind of person his dad would look up to. Mm. Um, and so that works. That's pretty effective. <laughs> mm. yeah, all makes sense. The visual effects, <clears throat> I, I, I know, like, I was kind of confused, actually, when I was a kid, because I watched this when I was a kid. No, I, I, I didn't see all of it, but yeah, I watched yeah. several episodes. I, I liked it a lot when I was young, and then I revisited it later, and mm. it holds up pretty well, and... Um, but it, the Flash is not really a cheap hero. Like, you know, you could probably, like, uh, do Batman pretty cheap on TV, or, or just a guy in a suit. But S- Superman, you have, a, like, a blue screen and then a cable to lift him up occasionally. Yeah, that, and that's, yeah. that's just not easy. It's not super hard, but, like, it takes some work. <clears throat> the Flash requires a lot of visual effects every episode. Mm-hmm. And, obviously, that's one of the things that drove the budget up. But, you know, when you do anything that's really visual effects heavy on this kind of schedule and budget over 25 years ago, you think to yourself, oh, this is going to look like crap. Mm-hmm. Like on our new podcast, Critically Acclaimed, we reviewed Battlefield Earth, which only came out 17 years ago and looks like shit. <laughs> it looks worse than this show. This show, they knew where to put the money. Then they knew mm. like the ways to like handle the speed powers that are cheap mm. but effective. And I think they, they do a good job with they it. They never, like, they didn't ever just speed up the film because that would have just looked ridiculous. Mm. So they, they played fast motion in a way where they pulled frames mm-hmm. and then they added sort of a blur effect. So even though John Wesley Ship isn't moving too much faster than just regular speed, mm-hmm. the pulled it's, frames and the it's, blur it's like make time it look, lapse photography. Yeah, it makes yeah. him look really fast. And then they mm-hmm. have an additional animated effect where it's just like a red streak across the screen, yeah. which they use in every episode. And they do a lot of th- uh, tricks. And, that they do in the new show as well, which is just, um, you know, you see the other characters and then you have like one of those uh, air, air guns. An air blaster. Yeah, an yeah. air blaster just poof, everyone's hair flies out mm. and then you cut away and Barry's not there. It works. It works. It's not, you don't need to fix that. You, That's you, always going to work. All, all you need is an air cannon and an iPhone. You can shoot that at home. Basically. Um, so that's basically the pilot. It's very, very effective. There are 22 episodes of this thing, so we're going to burn through it pretty fast. Um, the, I'll, I'll say this. The first uh, three or four episodes, including the pilot, are way too complicated. Uh-huh. I think it was episode three where we were introduced to like uh, two mysterious thugs in a car, a mask that was being transported in a museum, another gangster, and a missing woman at all. All in the cold open. Yeah. It's like we had four stories going at the same time. And I think by the got to the time we well, got to episode five or six, it settled into one story per episode. What I think is interesting about The Flash is that it's kind of caught in this moment where superhero storytelling was one thing, mm-hmm. then it became another thing, but it was on the verge of becoming another thing. Mm-hmm. 
The Flash plays, in some respects, like a 1980s adventure series, where even though he's a superhero like Manimal, mm. a lot of his adventures are very street-level crime stuff that any, like, that Knight Rider could have done. Right. And it would have been the same basic mm-hmm. plot. Some of the episodes are like that. Some of the episodes play like the old Adam West show, where it was the cool guest star of the week. Mm. You know, where it's... Yeah, uh, with the, uh, the two Mark Hamill episodes. Yeah, like yeah. there's Mark Hamill. Oh my god, it's Mark Hamill, and he's playing the trickster. That's that's really cool. Or uh, who did they get to play the Mirror Master? Um, it's not Danny Bonaducci, the other guy from the Partridge family. David oh, Cassidy. David Cassidy. David yeah. Cassidy shows up <laughs> as the Mirror Master. Oh, that's kind of neat. Mm-hmm. And they would do that. And that's fun, too. But then there's also these episodes where they find this kind of element of seriousness and they're dealing with the repercussions of vigilante violence and Mm. and is my presence in Central City causing more harm than it's solving and bringing in characters from the past and showing like a history of heroism that actually creates sort of like a a new mini mythology within the series that gets building and building and it's more interesting as it goes along there's a lot of cool stuff here, but you're mm. right. The first few episodes are mostly overcomplicated uh, crime and, episodes. Yeah, um, and, and I think they, they weren't really <laughs> sure. The, it, it's clear they weren't really sure yet, right at the start, how serious they wanted yeah. to play it. Because yeah. you look at, uh, I've always found it a little strange when Batman beats up like gangsters in suits and fedoras. Yeah, it's like it's kind of punching down. Yeah, it's like you're you're, well, you're Batman. Surely you have better guys to beat up than just these like thugs, but. He is a crime fighter, and that's what crime looks like. They're, so the first episode, the, the second they had episode, to work up to the silly villains. Well, the second, well, they put a silly villain in the in the second episode, but they're trying to marry it to a very serious message story. So in the mm. second episode, Barry finds out that one of the guys he knew in high school is now homeless, and Barry apparently didn't know homelessness was a problem before this episode because he treats it very naively, <laughs> like oh, oh I, I know how to fix everything. Like Barry, it's it's, it's like it's a up. systemic issue. You're gonna have to also this really. Is, this is nineteen. 19- 1990. Yeah. Well, media had been addressing this problem already. This is it's not, not like Newberry. it was a, a private like, thing. Yeah. But on top of that, the B, the B story mm. is uh, Tina McGee has an old uh, associate who has created a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde serum. Mm-hmm. And he's been testing it on homeless people. And it turns them into, into monsters. Yeah, just big, hulking yeah. monsters. They, yeah. they inject a dog with it and it turns into a werewolf. Which is kind of neat, but more or less, yeah. it's really, really broad. But then uh, the the next episode is actually uh, um, uh, it's it's their new film noir episode, and we meet a character who will come in mm. a lot. Uh, Megan Lockhart, a private investigator, played by Joyce Heiser, an actress I've always, always, mm. always liked. She was in just one of the guys. And she didn't do a lot of other prominent things. But she plays a hard-boiled private investigator uh, who discovers, very quickly, mm. Barry Allen is the Flash. Because it's he's not that careful yet. And it's she, kind of easy to figure out. She has been hired by a corrupt district attorney uh, to find out who the Flash is so the mm. guy could blackmail the Flash into... Do, doing his dirty work. Into doing his dirty work. And the Flash has to figure out how mm. to deal with that. And they and do. And his name is Castillo, but occasionally they call him Castillo. So I think there, there weren't any notes among the actors. I think they, they needed to have a few more conversations. Um, but, um, yeah, so that episode is is and he, much more just basic crime-ridden. I, I frustrated and he, because... And he uh, develops sort of an attraction to her. She's sort of like also the love interest. Uh, Megan Lockhart is one of the love interests. Yeah. Um, she's It's frustrating because in this first episode, uh, Joyce Heiser is given a lot of style, 
But it, it's like, I don't know, it's just like the dialogue. Like they hadn't figured out how to write her yet. Mm. Every time she tries to sound hard-boiled, it sounds a little forced. But she's, when she comes she back, like, it, it, she, she's yeah. great. She, she sounds a lot like um, Jennifer Jason Lee in the Hudsucker Proxy. Like just I think really, it's what they're going for, yeah. but I don't know. If the, maybe the dialogue wasn't written well enough mm. to for... When you have... Again, a, they, they, they weren't sure yet if they wanted to go with the, that sort of expressionistic mm. neo-noir of Batman, sort of a, a more realistic crime thing, or something that was a little bit broader. And they eventually found a balance, and I'm glad they did, because... Yeah. These early episodes are are not hard to get through. They're just not as entertaining as the show got. The show gets a lot yeah. better. Uh, episode four uh, yeah. stars Ian Buchanan. Uh, he is the smarmy guy from Twin Peaks. Yep. Who, uh, Twin Peaks is all over the show. But like we have every Jacques in, in one episode. Jacques is in the episode. Uh, uh, Leo is in an episode. That weird guy who had Laura's diary is in one episode. Oh, like yeah. every third episode has someone from Twin Peaks, in it. and Twin Peaks was only just off the air. Twin Peaks is one of those shows where even though it didn't last that long, it lasted mm-hmm. too long for our purposes, but um, everyone watched it and everyone liked the cast. And so everyone, at least for a little while, mm-hmm. seemed like they got some work off of it. It's kind of like The Wire. Right. The Wire was critically acclaimed. Everyone loved The Wire, just not enough people watched it. But when The Wire ended, all of those actors found work. Like almost everybody <laughs> had at least one shot at a big show. Well, and they did pretty good. This seemed like a, a lens through which a lot of working actors had to pass because there are mm. so many recognizable faces. In some this of them show. already famous, some of them not famous not yet. Not famous yet. Yeah, uh, but yeah. Episode four is like it's like there's a like whole convention. This of is thieves this is what I was talking yeah, about. Where there's all, like eight stories going. There's on. There's like four different super thieves, and they're all trying to steal this one mask. Meanwhile, Barry has to deal with the fact that one time he wanted to be an archaeologist. It's not a good episode. No, probably no, the no, worst it's... episode, if you ask me, just because it's boring and mm. complicated. Like those are the two things that should not go together. Mm. It's like because you have to pay attention if you're going to like it at all, and you don't like it. The next episode is where we finally start to settle in because this mm. is the one where somebody <laughs> sorry, this somebody second. develops a Nintendo Power Glove that can control <laughs> that can the control flash. the like he injects a chip into him that can take control of his nervous system, and he controls him with what is more or less a Nintendo Power Glove. Yeah. Um, and that's ridiculous. And it's and he uses the flash and he and fla- a virtual reality headset. Don't forget. Oh, right, virtual, virtual reality was going to be everywhere. So yeah, it's a VR headset and a, a Nintendo Power Glove, and he black and the flash blacks out when this happens, so he yeah. doesn't realize that he's he's the one committing the these crimes. The first thing he has to do because this is all kind of revolving around a Day of the Dead celebration. Mm. Uh, the first thing he has him do is defile a church. It's and, like, weird. And yeah. like and like destroy statues or move them outside or put bags over their head. And I'm like, this is weirdly dark. <laughs> I don't think this is what you were getting at. It just has it in for Roman Catholics. I I don't know. Yes, it's really, really weird. But that's that's very, very silly. But we're getting to the point now where we're starting to have some more fun with it. Yeah. And there's going to be a couple other really stupid episodes coming up, but then it's going to settle in. I think because of the pilot and because they first started doing crime episodes that we're able to more... And the tone of the show is just right because we can accept the crime elements, but also this wild stuff like yeah. there's a power glove that can control your brain. There you go. It's a good balance. Uh, the next episode... Uh, I'll say that a lot in this episode. The next episode is the the mm. episode where Barry finally bonds with his dad. Dad's old mm. arch nemesis bank robber comes back to town. He right, wants to get right. revenge on the Allen family. And Barry has to team up with his dad to stop the guy. It's a very straightforward episode, but it's got some really nice acting between John Wesley Shipp and M.M. Walsh. M.M. Walsh, Walsh, I think, like, he's a huge star. And I think he's he's not well-known enough amongst younger people. Yeah. I guess because he's not working as much as he used to. He's still around, but, like, yeah, there was a time when M.M. Walsh was in everything. Like, if if you want, like, a grumpy, crotchety old dude, you got M.M. Walsh. Yeah. He he was was the one. He he was the guy, he was the go-to for about 25 Mm -hmm. years. 
Do you remember? It was great. You remember that Tales from the Crypt he was in? The taxidermy episode? <laughs> yeah, that's a great one. Um, also, a uh, weird cameo in this one as a stool pigeon uh, mm-hmm. that Barry talks to, Wes Studi. Yeah. From the, the Last of the Mohicans and Heat. And, and, and a great and, actor who does not work in it. And, and Mystery Men as well. He played the Snakes. That's right. Um, is, I think this was also the first episode with Dick Miller. Uh, no, I think the last episode was. But yeah, Dick Miller is one mm. of those. Uh, is one of the most prolific character actors ever. Mm. He's been in everything, often more than once, and he, as different characters. He is Joe Dante's lucky charm. He's yeah. in every Joe Dante film, but he's in everything. He played Mr. Yeah. Futterman in Gremlins. That's probably his most recognizable yeah. role for a lot of people. But yeah, he's in everything, and he plays a pickpocket who, every, so once, every couple episodes, he shows up, and he's just he's just like Johnny from uh, Police Squad. He's just got info for the Flash, uh-huh. but like he's always like got a new scheme. Like one time he's dressed as a nun and he's taking like uh, <laughs> he's, uh, uh, donations for a, okay, for a he, fictional church. He's got some sort of d- d- disguise in every every scene he's in. Yeah, it's really uh, funny. And and he's Dick Miller and he's great and he plays this the stooly character very very well. He, it's almost like. John Wesley Ship is in awe of Dick Miller in every one of those scenes, though. It's like he's supposed to be shaking him down, but he's like he doesn't want to be too rough with Dick Miller because it's Dick Miller. You don't you don't rough up Dick Miller. All right, so the next episode, I think this is the one where this is the last really stupid one, mm. but it's also one of the ones where a lot happens and there's a it's very engaging. Uh-huh. This is the uh, evil hippie hit woman drug cult with cameo by Adam West mm. and Mark and Mark DeCoscos before Mark DeCoscos was anybody and. Jonathan Brandis from the miniseries It is in it as this ragamuffin that Barry takes in who stole a disc full of expose <laughs> on this evil hippie guy so, who's trying to kill Barry Allen. And in the end, Barry Allen like uses his super speed on an electric guitar to rock the hippies into submission. And it's very silly. It's awesome. <laughs> it's awesome. It, the sight of watching The Flash mm-hmm. use his superpowers to shred hippies into submission with the power of rock and roll oh i forgot it's something that spilled out of my brain when i was 14 and been crawling around and accumulating power ever since i forgot another cameo on this one um kirk baltz who played clayface in birds of prey which we've also reviewed a couple of birds of prey alumni are in here as well or before birds of prey obviously Mm -hmm. yeah he plays clayface in birds of prey and he plays uh uh one of the drug dealers in this one as well so there's a lot of didn't recognize yeah uh the next episode uh is uh no i'm trying to remember here uh tina is offered a job in california meanwhile uh another cult leader uh, died a long time ago, and his daughter is back in town to assassinate everyone responsible oh, for his death. God, I barely remember this episode. It's, it's a perfectly good episode. It's mostly focused on a side character, um, and there's some decent acting in it, but like, it's a pretty generic, mm. will the Flash stop this hit person? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And we're done. <laughs> we're moving I, on. I feel like after you've already had, you know... Super rock and shred episode and power glove mm. episode. You're scaling back a little bit here. Episode nine is when it all comes together, and this was the first episode that I distinctly remember watching when I was a kid and loving this episode. Is this the, the nightshade? This episode? is a ghost. Yeah. yeah, the ghost. So the idea was back in the fifties, before you know the Flash came into existence, yeah. there was another vigilante in Central City called 
uh, Nightshade. Mm. Nightshade is very closely based off of a character called the Sandman from the comics. Uh, the Sandman used sleeping gas and wore a gas mask. Mm. The Nightshade used uh, uh, knockout darts. Yeah. yeah. And also wears a gas mask. And the, the I don't know if this was important or not, but I think maybe one of the reasons they decided to differentiate it is in the comics, the Sandman is white, and in the show, the Sandman is black. And I don't know if maybe mm. that would have. Or Nightshade is black. And Nightshade is black. And I think I, I can see maybe, oh, maybe well, thinking different characters is not visually confusing, but I don't and, think it would have been necessary. It's not, well, I, I think it adds an interesting texture to the character. He's fighting in the 50s. Mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't have a lot of rights as a black man, so he has to put on a mask, and that's got to be especially liberating. Mm-hmm. Um, that's Really inter- and I think that you know this came out in 1990. A lot of people are saying, "Well, you brought this up in the wake of Batman. A lot of studios put superhero films into production, but it wasn't DC, like new DC characters. It was mm. stuff like the Shadow and the Phantom and yeah. other Silver Age characters that or, or Batman, Golden Age or Golden Age characters yeah. that Batman came from. Yeah, like Batman and, was created in like the uh, turn of the 1930s, 1940s, but he was still around and he was very contemporary at the time. But we got characters who were either throwbacks to or mm. directly from. Old era, yeah, like, like kids weren't reading The Shadow or listening yeah, to The like Shadow, but we got The Shadow anyway. Dick Tracy came back in comic strips, if you remember. Yeah, but, but it was uh, still a retro thing. Yeah. So, so this is a retro throwback. Uh, but keep in mind how many generations of comic book readers there were at the time. Yeah. The, the newest generation was probably just discovering stuff like the Nightshade. There was only Nightshade and The Flash, and that's it. There were like two, maybe three generations. Mm-hmm. Now we're like three more generations hence. So, you know, the 1990 Flash seems impossibly yeah. old. Uh, in any case, the Nightshade is played by Jason Bernard, uh, who's he's, probably he's in everything. He's I've, in I've everything. seen him in everything. The thing I think most people would probably recognize him from is he was the judge in Liar Liar. That's right. <laughs> There's a lot of good moments. Having my judgment in my court mocked is not something I'm willing to tolerate. Yeah, yeah, he's great. He's got a great voice. Brings a lot of dignity to the role. The opening is set in the 1950s, and there's a supervillain yeah. that uh, the Nightshade was. Uh, trying to stop is called the ghost and he was using video technology to blow things up and now it's the present day the ghost is back he cryogenically froze himself <laughs> it's a bit broad <laughs> he he make uh, i love the scenes where he meets up with his old girlfriend yeah. who, who was not frozen and he's yeah. like and, and i'm back in your life it's like but i'm 60 now it's like uh, he doesn't can't... care which i like yeah it's never like oh you're old he's like no you're we're cool like it's kind of nice like, actually yeah, but you've been missing for all these decades he's got a tech guy played by ian abercrombie who would go on to play yeah. uh jar uh the, the the uh, wise man in uh, Birds of Prey. Bir- no, the wise man in Army of Darkness. Wise man in Army of and Darkness. He played Alfred. He played in, Alfred in Birds, in Birds of Prey. Of Prey. Um, so that's mm. that's cool as well. But what I think is really interesting about this episode. First off, again, John Wesley Ship and uh, John Bernard or Jason Bernard are just really great together, and they bring mm. so much, you know, well, so, so much like generational like. Mach- it's nice that the Flash has a mentor who knows what he's talking about, yeah, and that's kind of cool. It, it strikes me that John Wesley Ship is one of those actors who could probably work with any other actor. You probably could, like, and I think that's a quality you don't find in too many contemporary actors who are just willing to bend with other players. And that's really important when you're trying to do an episodic show like mm. this because people are going to cycle in all the time. And yeah, you want to yeah. find someone who's really, really good playing opposite anybody. But what I think is really interesting. Thing is this is the first instance in which other than uh, sort of the creation of the show the, ins- the visual inspiration of the show and the music mm. this is another episode that would have an echo in Batman the animated series a couple of years oh, after there this, was there was the, the uh, gray ghost yeah yeah I was about to say the, the, beware the gray ghost was an episode of Batman the animated that's the series. one that was played by Adam West right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. okay yeah so beware just the making ghost, sure we're thinking of the it, same it's thing. one of my favorite episodes of Batman the animated series there was uh, Batman revered a fictional vigilante named the gray ghost and it was some part of the inspiration he had for becoming Batman in the first place uh, but a, a, a mad bomber inspired by the old show 
uh, is back in town, and he has to team up with the actor who played the Grey Ghost, <laughs> and they got that generational dynamic again. It's a great episode, and so is this. Mm. But it's interesting that there's such a close parallel, including the ghost, which is actually, like, in both of uh, them. I, I find it a little strange that I don't think we have stories like that in modern superheroes anymore. What do you mean? Like, the, the newer generation doesn't need aid from the old guard. The new generation is the first generation uh, now. Well, actually, they, they ended up... Uh, partly through use of the uh, time travel mechanics and like the parallel dimension mechanics, mm. they ended up doing some of that in the Flash. And the new the Flash, yeah. Okay. There, and there, there's there's I was, some. I was of thinking it. of the movies though. There's not oh, like yeah. a previous generation that these superheroes can refer to. Not as much. Yeah, it's That's like it's, it's all fresh. It's the millennials. I guess the X Men do because there's a lot of the <laughs> yeah, I guess, yeah, I guess so, too, but yeah. In any case, uh, the next episode uh, has an invisible guy with a shadow voice. It sounds really cool. You know, you know who else is an invisible guy who has a shadow voice? The shadow. The shadow. Yeah, but they made him a villain in this one, and he contaminates Star Labs where uh, uh, Tina works. And the Which Flash- is a really nice looking restaurant on the outside. Like it has these big art deco. Pa- it, it, it's so inspired by Batman. It still has the art deco building and the big yeah. statues and that sort of WPA look to it. Yeah. And it looks like a, a nightclub or a restaurant yeah. from 1939. But uh, in any case, uh, Tina's stuck in. Tina and her jerk boss are stuck inside. The Flash has to find a way to find an invisible guy and get mm-hmm. the cure for this contamination before they get out. It's a, it's a good bottle episode where yeah. like a lot well, of the characters can't leave. It's, it's, it's effective. It's suspenseful. It works. Um, uh, I is it weird that I actually like these types of episodes where they're bound to one location and they're sort of they have to worry about how to write in that situation? I think that's, than the ones that are really expansive and involve a lot of characters. I think that's the I think that is the mark of someone who has to watch a lot of TV and mm. uh, is gets more fascinated by like sort of the process. Than mm. necessarily the narrative, yeah. Where we watch, it's like when you watch so many movies that you want to watch a really, really bad one because it kind of jars you. <laughs> so, like when you watch a show that has to deal with certain limitations, mm. you're kind of fascinated by how the they ingenuity deal with those yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, I think you're more thinking about the filmmaking than you are about the actual text. Maybe so, but uh, I, I guess I've always admired things, uh, shows, and movies that can do a lot with a little. Yeah, and. It, it 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 kind of it's more inspiring to watch something like that, uh, especially if you're a creative person. It's like yeah. you can do a lot with a little, and indeed you do get a lot of drama from something like that. Fair enough. My, my favorite episode of Deep Space Nine is the one where they're just trapped on the station and all the old like security measures just go off and start killing them. Oh, that was a good one. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, episode eleven. This one's kind of cool. It's, a lot of shows have a we got to get someone off of death row. They only have like two days yeah. before they're executed. Here, because he's the Flash, he can run really fast. They do it in this guy's being executed in one hour. Uh, so it's like a real-time murder mm. mystery and they decide to jazz it up with jazz <laughs> it's a jazz musician on death row and the flash has to solve the mystery of over who actually killed the guy's uh, mm. singer girlfriend played by angela bassett <laughs> who is not in the episode enough but is totally awesome and she sings too i don't know if it's a real voice but she sounds good i think she was dubbed I'm okay. pretty sure she... that's a shame. have you noticed how multicultural this show is i, I appreciate now, th- it this was 1990 when that was just kind of exploding in pop consciousness in a lot of ways yeah. you'll notice a lot of shows from like from the late 80s and early 90s were very much addressing this sort of new multicultural well uh, casts that we wanted to see i will say this right now they were trying to well they were Trying to and by modern standards they weren't. It was really uh, it was really awkward. Sometimes it was Captain Planet syndrome where we just have a token one of everything and and nobody has any character whatsoever. Yeah, but uh, attempts were being made. Attempts were being made, and I actually really appreciate that. And I I like that the Flash is kind of a multi-culti hero. Yeah, that he's. 
uh, interacting with all kinds of cultures and is very open to all well, of them and is is very wise and affable and approachable and respects everything. Well, it, it, it's uh, he comes from a major metropolitan area, which mm. is very much a melting pot, and he gets to explore different communities within that area. Mm. Now, on one hand, they're all being explored through the avenue of crime, which, when you only look at the crimes he will commit, it doesn't look and, that great. And, again, but like, and it's also through the lens of the white man. But, right. But he, he does, he, he loves they're, jazz. That's kind of cool. And they're also, they're making attempts, and it's something that I really appreciate. Yeah. And it's an okay episode. It's a little unnecessarily complicated, but it's good. Uh, the next episode is The Trickster. That's right. Okay, okay, so now, if you like Batman the Animated Series, and you like Mark Hamill as the Joker, this is where he came up with that character. More or less. <laughs> more or less, because yeah. he plays a character called The Trickster, who is the Joker, more or less. Yeah. Uh, uh, the Trickster is from the comics, but The Trickster was always felt like a Joker knockoff. Yeah. He, he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a prankster. He's a murderous prankster with enormous uh, 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 mental problems. And and he has big, silly death traps, like giant boxing gloves and mm-hmm. funny car and weird Bubble gum and, that yeah, shoots at you. And it's, like, bu- there's like, yeah, this special glue in the bubble gum and we'll stick to the flash. And yeah. this is all Joker stuff from comics and the 1966 yeah. Batman series. And Mark Hamill, uh, clearly the big get, mm-hmm. decided not to half-ass a damn thing. He's really swinging for the walls. This was before Jim Carrey played the Riddler. Uh, this was yeah. before he played the Joker. But it's post-Batman 1960s where these kind of broad performances were normal. And I think it's pretty clear but that Mark Hamill is doing a Batman 1960s performance. He is, and I think, it, but it's brave for him to do that in something that is trying to kind of take it back from that. Yeah. But and, it, this is the character where they're allowed to get really, really, really broad. Mm. And Mark Hamill is playing to the rafters and he's very fun and he's very deadly which is kind of cool he's actually a failed uh, magician mm. and at the beginning he's he's obsessed with Megan Lockhart who was tracking him down across state lines and he thinks she's his new love interest sash uh, sidekick prank and so he decides <laughs> to saw her in half with a chainsaw but without any mechanisms to actually prevent that from being a drink mm. just so, saw her in half yeah uh, so the Flash uh, saves her they get in a bunch of fights the, the trickster becomes the trickster in order to sort of match the Flash, oh, which is kind of a, 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 a premise that they're going to start playing with. Can, can the we, idea that villains are becoming more prominent. Can we pause for a minute and just appreciate that uh, how great an actor Mark Hamill actually is? Yeah, uh, he's fantastic. I've, I've seen the Star Wars movies. That's Mark Hamill at like a three. Yeah. <laughs> he's capable of so much more, and especially when it comes to something broad and funny, he's hilarious. I think it's interesting that he has found so much more... Mm. I, I don't know how much money he's making from it, but like he's found so much more acclaim and respect as a voice actor. Yeah. Than I think, because a, a lot of the actors mm. after Star Wars, except for Harrison Ford in particular... Uh, it, you know, unless they were famous beforehand, they didn't really get a lot out of it. Yeah. Like, Carrie Fisher ended up being more famous as a writer than an actor, and Mark Hamill, he was in a few movies in the 80s, but man, people just didn't know what to do with him outside of being Luke Skywalker. Mm. It was through broad performances like this and ingratiating himself in this geeky community that he was able to get more work. So he did the trickster. He did two episodes. Mm. This one's good. The last episode's amazing. We'll talk about <laughs> that. But... Um, you know, it was when he he was actually brought on to play uh, like a corporate 
jerk in the Mr. Freeze episode in the first ep- uh, season of Batman. Mm-hmm. And it was only while he was doing that episode that they said they were looking for a Joker, and he said, I want to do it. <laughs> and thus and, history was made. And he, and he did his trickster voice. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, he's still arguably the best Joker, mm-hmm. and he's it, it led to a long and successful mm-hmm. career of doing amazing voices for everything, and everyone loves him, and I guess they should. Um, but uh, yeah, so this is the trickster episode. It's a fun episode. It's, it's good. It's good, good villain of the week episode. He, um, seeing Mark Hamill in that outfit is maybe the most iconic thing one can take from this series. I think if, <laughs> if, if even if you haven't seen the series, seeing him in that weird clown outfit with that big mm-hmm. multicolor hairdo yeah. is kind of what you take from the Flash, and yeah. you shouldn't necessarily think that's what this show is. All right, episode 13. Uh, Barry's super speed is giving him bad dreams. He hooks himself up to Tina in like a oh, weird Exorcist God. 2 device. Yeah, like and she, she can absorb his dreams into her own brain somehow. It's an accident, but that's and, what happens. And then she becomes and, like his nightmare version of her. Yeah. And she joins a gang led by someone named Harley, which I thought was kind of interesting. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. And she becomes like a new supervillain. And it's all wrapped up pretty tidily by the and end of it. They're called, like, called like the Black Roses or something. Yeah, it's an episode that gives uh, Amanda Pays a little bit more to do than usual, which mm. is good because she's clearly having fun and that makes it entertaining. Yeah. But the episode itself is not great. She, she absorbs his bad dreams and becomes evil. Uh- <laughs> yeah. Uh, episode 14, Barry tanks in a homeless single mother. This is a glorious oh, episode for, for future, for, for, for famous cameos because the bad guys are trying to kidnap this baby. The bad guy is played by... Brian Cranston, young, is, sexy Brian Cranston, who is almost unrecognizable. Yeah, he's uh, so young and like his skin is so smooth because he's so young and he's so handsome. Like you want him to play the shadow or something. He looks so cool, <laughs> but he plays an obsessive compulsive bad guy who says things like, "I want a bowl of vegetables. I want a bowl of steamed vegetables, and if they're not sterilized, you will be." Mm. And I'm like, ah. Get, and his gonna cut off my. Huh, huh, oh, and his geez. lead hench person <laughs> is played by the inimitable, the immortal Robert Zadar. Robert Zadar is a name that not enough people know. He was his, he's one of those actors who, if you saw him in a movie, you mm. never forgot him because he has a very particular look. He's a very big muscular guy mm-hmm. and he has there's some sort of genetic quirk I'm not sure what it is called but he, he has a bone condition in his jaw yeah. that caused it to grow a, yeah o- overly large so he just has a very so, thick jaw yeah. and he's just he, he, he looks very striking he played a bunch of bad guys in movies because of it he was Maniac Cop the first Maniac Cop movie, by the way, is very good. You should totally check it out. <laughs> Maniac Cop 2 is the, the where it's at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll fight about that later. But it's Robert Zidar kidnapping a baby with Brian Cranston, which is enough! And, and at the end, the Flash actually like ties them oh, up and gags them with diapers. Um, yeah, it's just so much stupid three men and a baby stuff. Uh, here, here's what I like. When, when the Flash finds himself in an extraordinary situation, like he has to take care of a baby, and he uses his superpowers in practical ways. When he has to organize something, or build a playpen or pick stuff up that he's spilled because that's what i would do (laughs) i think that's what's kind of cool about the flash is that look batman's batman's power as they joked in the justice league trailer is that he's rich the flash has a power that if you had it you would use it all the time yeah like spider-man can't web things all the time it might wall walk a lot that might be useful but the flash is when you the older you you just use that to commute and do your chores when you're young you think about superpowers as some sort of escape from the day-to-day grind when you're older what you fantasize about superpowers i find i think about ways to make the day-to-day easier yeah yeah and one of those would be if i could move super fast that'd be great that'd be super (laughs) awesome oh my god i love it yeah Yeah. there's an episode i think we this it was in the the 
homeless episode mm-hmm. where somebody like spilled a bunch of stuff. They lived in this hovel and everything was just trashed by bad guys. And like one of the cathartic moments was he just picked everything up and put it back. Yeah. Because he's the flash and he can do that. It's great. <laughs> Doesn't, um, doesn't have to chase bad guys all the time. All right. Uh, the next episode, uh, Pike, the villain from the first episode who killed Barry's brother, is right. released from jail on a technicality. And Barry is starting to wonder, am I doing any good? And what he discovers is that after Pike blows him up with a rocket, the, the Flash with travels. Some, with some really stupid-ass special effects. Yeah, they, that, that one doesn't he hold up He shoots a missile well. at him. He runs. F- the missile catches up to him. And shoots him and super fast or something. And knocks him into the future. Yeah, he goes 10 years into the future <laughs> and Pike is now mayor of Central City this is and the, it's basically like the worst version of like, Pottersville yeah, I was to say, It's a Wonderful Life. It's Pottersville. Well, it's Back to the Future 2 Pottersville. Yeah. So. Back to the Future 2 was just before this so and the strikings are the well, similar. Well, Back to the really Future striking. 2 took the idea from It's a Wonderful Life. Well, that's, that's true. Here. But the idea was Flash wasn't around to save Central City from this madman so the madman took over and everything sucks. And, and now he has to figure out if he can be the Flash in the future and do good again. And also because he loses his powers time, yeah. for a while. Um, and it's, it's you know what it is? It's fun to see he characters runs, in different situations. Yeah. It's fun to see, like... Uh, runs into Amanda Pays again, and yeah. she looks identical. They didn't age well, her it's only, at all. It's only 10 years, and she was, like, 25. She's yeah, not going to look like, that different. They give her like, a slightly different hairdo. Yeah, like, Julio is, like, part of a resistance movement. Yeah. And, um, and it was, it's fun to see characters in different situations. Um, it's obviously very broad and silly, but it, it serves a function because it gives him a reason where even... Even when the legal system doesn't work, he realizes he's making a difference. Mm. It's a good function for the episode. It works and, just and, fine. And it's the episode where he, he realizes that he and Amanda Pays are kind of attracted, and they get to kiss. Yeah. But it doesn't count because it's in the future, t- and that, that timeline, timeline is rewritten. erased. Yeah. Uh, the next episode is called Deadly Nightshade, and this is one where there is a copycat vigilante mm. uh, who is taking over the role of the Nightshade, but is just killing criminals pretty indiscriminately. Mm. And the Flash realizes he has to draw a line, and he teams up with the Nightshade again. And Denise Crosby shows up as basically. Nicole Kidman's character from Batman Forever is a psychologist yeah, who yeah, thinks yeah. all heroes are insane. Um, and uh, Richard like, Berge like, plays the new version of the Deadly Nightshade and does so very well. He's very cool. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I, I do like uh, I like that sort of line because you know what's stopping Batman from just murdering guys? Because oh. once he crosses, well, then well, they for, talk first, about that. Once he crosses it, yeah. he's just a bad guy. Yeah. For, yeah. First of all, you know, there's that ethical dilemma. Also, it's a show for kids. You don't have Batman yeah. just murdering guys. So it's important. That's what to, the Punisher is for. It's important to reestablish once in a while that although this person lives outside the law, they do have some respect for it. Yeah. yeah. So um, this episode does a good job of it, and it's always good uh, to have the Nightshade back because he's really, really great. And Denise Crosby. And okay. Denise Crosby. This was 1990. This was right after she left Star Trek: The Next Generation to work on like bigger projects and movies and this is the one episode this, she's in that, well she's also like <laughs> briscoe county jr like yeah. she just did a lot of like one single random she's TV very episode. talented it's a shame her career didn't uh, go better uh, um the next episode is the captain cold episode now captain cold in the comics is totally not mr freeze well but, the, captain, he, oh, but here's the thing though here's the thing mm-hmm. in the comics mr freeze was a very minor villain until okay. Batman the Animated Series gave him pathos and made him more interesting and okay. reinvented that character. He had been around, but no one cared. Captain Cold was basically the Flash's arch nemesis. Okay. In the because, comics. Because he could freeze the Flash. Because he could freeze the Flash. Uh, he was, was a good counter program. He was also just a very intelligent criminal. He was a major player in Super Friends. Yeah. Yeah. And and he's a major player uh, in the new Flash series where he's been yeah. played by. Um, what, oh, God. I couldn't Dude say from I Prison Break. Say. The, just say the dude from Prison Break. Dude from Prison Break. I'm going to look it up because that's yeah. going to bug me. But yeah, Wentworth the, Miller. 
Wentworth Miller. Oh, cool. He's great. Oh, I like. I love Wentworth, Wentworth Miller. Miller. Okay. Um, so yeah, yeah here he's one, he, he's an albino guy with a freeze ray. Yeah, he's played um, by Michael Champion, who you might recall as Michael Ironside's uh, second in command from Total Recall. Mm. That's probably what most people recognize him from. Yeah. He's working for Jeffrey Combs, and a part of me is just like, why didn't you get Jeffrey Combs, Combs to, to play, play Captain, Captain Cold? Cold? He's amazing. And Jeffrey, <laughs> Jeffrey Combs. God bless Jeffrey Combs. He is just so wonderful. He he. He's a great actor who can chew scenery with the best of them. And he is playing this, like, really broad Italian gangster type yeah. who gets to, like, put on an accent. You can tell, like, with each scene, he was adding some new character quirk just to keep it interesting. So by the time the end, he's, like, has a limp and a scar. I don't know exactly <laughs> what's going on. Um, but this is a great episode. Captain Cold's a great villain. He's very intelligent. He puts a, up a real fight. We have another investigator character mm-hmm. who's going after the, the Flash, who I th- actually thought was... Oh, the, origi- this, the original was Megan Lockhart. I thought it was Megan Lockhart. Yeah, no, this is uh, uh, this is a new re- wannabe reporter played by Lisa Dar, who played Profit's uh, personal assistant in Profit. Oh, I didn't recognize last year. Her, yeah, yeah. Uh, my favorite scene was when uh, you know. To freeze everybody, you know, the special effects department just sprays like Christmas tree flocking on everything, and everybody look, like holds still, and it looks like they're frozen. Mm-hmm. And in one, and uh, she wanted to trap the Flash, so she sprayed herself. The character sprayed herself with Christmas tree flocking and just held still. <laughs> <laughs> and then he watches like, oh no, she's frozen, and she just sort of springs to life. Ha, got you! I'm just sprayed with Christmas tree flocking. I like, That's I really like clever. that scene. Uh, the next episode is called Twin Streaks. This is the clone episode. This is the clone episode. This also has an actor from Twin Peaks, uh, mm-hmm. Lenny Van Dolan. Who played, he was the guy who played Jacques. Uh, no, no, no. Jacques was in the Angel of Death episode. This is the guy who is played it? the uh, shut-in next-door neighbor oh, right, who right, had right, Laura Palmer's right, diary. Got him mixed up. Yes. Um, but uh, yeah, this is an episode in which someone finds a way they clone uh, the Flash. They find some of the Flash's blood and they're able to clone him. And they accelerate his growth, but he's still a child. Mm. And it's a really good episode for John Wesley Shipp to really stretch out a bit because he gets to be very silly, he gets to be very funny, he gets to be very sweet, mm. he gets to be weirdly intimidating. There's a lot of real pathos in this as well, he sort of finds this yeah, other version of himself. He's kind of like a, an, an eight or a nine-year-old who's just sort of figuring out how to be a grown-up for the first time. I love when he dresses himself for the first time and he chooses just totally weird clothes. Yeah. Um, my, but my favorite scene is the big reveal he the you know Barry Allen is investigating this flash clone goes to the lab of the guy who's been cloning it not knowing what he's been up to just yet is like hey I'm Barry Allen it's like yeah you're Barry Allen I recognize your face I've been cloning you he says internally <laughs> And like the the bad guy realized instantly this is the real the Flash and he thinks he's hiding and he doesn't know what to do with that information. It's just a really fantastic scene. It's great. Uh, so the next episode is the Mirror Master episode. It co-stars mm-hmm. David Cassidy, who you recall from the Partridge Family, and a show I'm trying to track down called David Cassidy Man Undercover, <laughs> where he plays a man with a wife and daughter who has to go undercover as a teenager every day. I've I've heard of it. <laughs> I've heard of it. But the Mirror Master is a cool villain. He uses hologram technology. Mm-hmm. They find a lot of fun ways. To to go about it. The episode itself is kind of forgettable, but David Cassidy's having fun. The hologram stuff, it's it just good like individual sequences. The story, so what? But yeah. uh, just like people are fighting and then all of a sudden like a clown will appear in the middle of the room and everybody's yeah. just sort of distracted for a minute. It's yeah. like, okay. Yeah. That, that's that's a good way to use that. It works It works pretty, pretty well. Add some visual variety uh, to the show. Episode 20 is a little forgettable. A bunch of villains come up with uh, a sleeping device that can put the entire city to sleep, but if they're asleep for too long, they're all going to die. Uh, and the, the the villain characters Bill Moody though are the scientists. Yeah, they're, they're not. They're just regular guys too. They just yeah. sort of have this thing. It's not enough personality to it. They try to build some pathos between like the scientist and invented and his brother, who ultimately kills his brother over the invention because he wants to be rich more than he wants to be family. So there's a little bit something there, but honestly, it's not a great episode. It's just no, kind of I mean, generic. It's, it's kind of filler. Yeah, uh, they, they can't they can't all be the 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 best of the week. 
Episode 21, the robot episode. Yay, the robot episode. This is the episode a- in which the Flash dances with a robot uh-huh. to everybody dance now. By- it's called It's called the power by Snap. Oh wait, no, not like, the, but not it's the like power, you, not the power by snap. You can't just <laughs> that, that. That was like, a what joke. Is it? it doesn't get that a lot more nineties uh, than that. It even takes place at uh, the Apocalypse Wow Homeless Rescue Fund benefit. <laughs> apocalypse Wow. That was the name of the the Apocalypse Now musical in the critic. Yeah, it's Apocalypse ID, Wow. Oh, I'm Colonel Kurtz, mm-hmm. fat and bald like old yeah, Fred. That's Mertz. the one. Yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, some uh, government organization has built a. A replicant, a perfect human-looking mm-hmm. robot. They want to get the replicant back. Barry falls in love with the robot, not knowing it's a robot. They fight another robot, and there's this cool bit where the Flash electrocutes the robot, and the human face melts off, and it's really <laughs> fucked up, actually. It's really cool. It's, it's really like, cool. It's like a screaming mad George sequence. Yeah. yeah. The, 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 I, for about 15 seconds, I was as happy as I had ever been, watching it's, that sequence where he yanks the wire out of the wall, stabs him in the robot's gut, his face melts off, and then his head explodes. Well, the best part of it, actually, the best like part of the episode... Like a Godzilla. That's a, cool, that's a cool moment. But the best part of the episode is they actually give Dick Miller some stuff to do. Like, he's been popping in and out of episodes. Uh, Here, he, he takes in the robot, and he finds out the robot, like, has x-ray vision, and he's going to use it to cheat at gambling. But he actually builds, like, mm. a rapport with the robot, and they're actually kind of friends some at the end. character scenes. Yeah, yeah. it's actually kind of sweet. And then the last episode is pretty amazing. It's the return of the trickster. Uh, it's, it's called Trial of the Trickster. And, uh, yeah, it's time to finally put the trickster on trial. They've, these things don't move that fast in real life, or however, even in the Flash life. However, the court stenographer has <laughs> eyes for the trickster. Okay, so the court stenographer uh, is played by Corrine Borer from Police Academy 4 and vice versa. And what's really fascinating about this episode, because this is an episode where the trickster breaks out, and then he brainwashes the Flash, and the Flash like helps him destroy Central City, and, and, and all that stuff is really fun. And actually. John Wesley Shipp is having a great time like being so a villain, fun, and just, just cackling and making jokes with Mark Hamill. It's all great. All of that stuff is gold. <laughs> um, but what's weird about this episode is this episode came out over a year before the first appearance of Harley Quinn. Yep. I was going to mention this. And Corrine uh, Borer plays Prank. The... Hot trickster sidekick who dresses like a Harlequin clowny he, character. Yeah, who is his number one fan and is super obsessed with him. And they kind have of has, ab- kind of has a Brooklyn-y voice accent. They have an abusive romantic relationship, but they don't care because that's who they got. Mm-hmm. And I'm watching this, and it's Mark Hamill as both Jokers, <laughs> trickster and the Joker. And I'm watching this, and I'm just like. That's that can't be entirely a coincidence, can it? C- clearly. Somewhat. They at least saw the show and thought, that's of, a neat idea. Let's give them to those to the Joker. It's got to be somebody was either watching a lot of, like, they were doing research on a lot of old, like, DC stuff when they yeah. were making Batman the Animated Series. Like, oh, hey, girlfriend for the Joker. That's a great idea. Lo and behold, Harley Quinn today is more popular than the Joker. Right. She, she's just. And she's a great she character. Took she's over. really interesting. And Well, they, uh, made, they made her interesting. They made her interesting but, yeah. over time. Like, her first appearance, she was one of many, like, gangsters, mall characters characters you would see in a lot mm. of pulpy fiction where there's this really dynamic male bad guy and he's got some awesome lady who's next to him and is just enamored of his awesomeness mm. and you can just see you know the writer like just appealing some weird inner need mm. but like you know 
she's a character who took on a life of her own. And I think even in this episode, Brank is an interesting character. Yeah. Like yeah. she she plays it really fun. Like they they she's clearly like realizing she, that the the trickster needed someone to play off of and that the big problem would be when the trickster starts having more fun with the flash. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually a pretty good episode. Like it's really I, cool. I almost expected uh Josie Cotton's Johnny Are You Queer to start playing over the, <laughs> the, the final chase. Yeah. It's it's a fun episode and all I know is that if the series had gone on, the showrunners had said that there would have been, like, the first episode of the second season would have been all of the major supervillains, like the Trickster, yeah. Captain Cold, and Mirror Master teaming up to form the Rogues, which is, like, the, the organization of Flash villains from the comics. They all, well, they all know each other. They're in the same yeah. community. They probably all get drinks every Friday. <laughs> like, Fuck it. Let's team up. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that's the Flash. The Flash, you know, if it had gone on, we would have had more villains. What I think is, again, I think it's really interesting that the show is just kind of every superhero show, past, present, and future, kind of shoved together. And even though it plays like a bit of a Frankenstein monster, it's fun. It, well, it's fun. It's to, a fun show. It's fun to watch. The standalone episodes are, you know, like self-contained and well, well-written enough that we can yeah. explore the characters, but also leave the stories be. Um, yeah, there's some clunkers in there, but uh, mostly it's really good. It feels, watching this show, from what we know of where superheroes were to turn up, Turn into it feels like a, a lot like a flashpoint. Like even almost, <laughs> uh, say say what you will, even more so than than Tim, Bur- Tim Burton's Batman, because Tim Burton's Batman was sort of like the the first boom of this, and everybody started to imitate that. And this is a very clear imitation of Batman, but this is the one that took a lot of that Batman stuff made it into something that was meant to be sort of a little bit more accessible. Batman is a little arch. Even though, you know, millions of people saw it, it still plays as a little bit kind of distant and Olympian in a lot of ways. A lot of people don't like it as a result. Uh, the Flash is the same sort of thing, but it's a lot more accessible. Mm. Uh, they were able to do it quickly, and well, I'm not going to say under budget. It was still an expensive show, but yeah. with a more modest budget, and it was able well, it was to the most explore- expensive show at the and time. And because it's but- a serialized show, they have to force themselves to explore the character in a lot more dynamic, interesting way, mm-hmm. uh, which is what led to a lot of the much more accessible superheroes that were to follow. Mm-hmm. So I think. The Flash is what led to Batman the Animated Series. Yeah. The Flash is what I think, led to... I think to it certainly... I think the, they helped work out the, the kinks the anyway boom, here. The yeah. boom of the Marvel stuff. I think mm-hmm. the Flash is kind of almost an ideal of what 90s superheroes were trying to be. I think I think you might be overstating it slightly, but I think people in the industry saw the Flash. And I think mm-hmm. they respected what the Flash did. And I think there are people... I think if you're going to look at the history of live-action superheroes... I think this is an important moment. Mm-hmm. And I think this is a moment that, you know, it didn't 100% work. It got canceled. But um, I think if you take remove this piece, a lot of things fall apart. Yeah, yeah. And I, I'm glad it's available on DVD. I think people should see the show if they like superhero mm-hmm. stuff. And again, yeah, some of it's silly. There's some silly episodes. There's some episodes where they hadn't figured out uh, mm-hmm. all the shtick. Um, but uh, it's definitely worth mm-hmm. seeing. It's really worth it. And yeah. I respectfully want to thank uh, our listener, Edward. Uh, who sent us this DVD in the hopes right. that we review it? We had this a while ago, as we, indeed we did many of our donations because <laughs> we got a lot of donations. We didn't expect and to get so many donations. We thought so we were going to get so. like a dozen. We have, we could do more than a year with nothing but our donations. Yeah. So if we haven't gotten to your donation so, yet, Edward, we got you. it. Yeah. We, we thank you. We're sorry. We're getting to them as much as we can. Uh, but this is a show I've been wanting to get to right from the beginning because I was a big fan. Mm. I hadn't watched it since they put it out on DVD for the first time, like in two thousand six, two thousand seven. Mm. Uh, but I'm glad it holds. 
holds up. I mean, again, a couple yeah, of clunky episodes, but it's really good. A couple of clunky episodes that aren't bad to watch. It's not. Mm. I never felt any like sour or annoyed. I, I think. I think the first chunk, like that bit between the pilot and like the first, I don't know, uh, uh, first the ghost mm. episode. Um, if I wasn't binging those, I would have been kinder. Mm. I think, like yeah, watching yeah, like yeah. those, watching like the four episodes that work worst in a uh-huh. row. That's not great, and in fact, I would actually tell you, you could probably skip most of those. Uh, but uh, yeah, it, it's it's a blast, and I'm so glad we got to review it. And it was definitely canceled too soon. I agree, it was canceled too soon. I would yeah. like like to have seen at least two, three more seasons. At least, least. Yeah. I mean, God, yeah, it would have been awesome. And I think actually, what's kind of weird is that they reference Batman the movie a couple of times. Like someone gets like they've walked past the Batman movie poster, but mm-hmm. they also talk about an expose at Arkham Asylum. <laughs> and they, they, they talk about, like, oh, let's get Lois Lane out of here. Like, they're making fun of a reporter. Mm. But a part of me is, like, it's so ingrained in the world of the movie that I think if The Flash had remained super popular, I think there might have been a crossover with the Tim Burton stuff eventually. Maybe so. Maybe, Maybe indirectly. So. Maybe they could have brought Chris O'Donnell on the show or something. You know, something. Yeah. it could have worked. Uh, but um, that's something I, I what, think maybe they could have played with. I don't know. One of the, the one of the things I like is that The Flash is the only superhero. And that's not a conceit we see well, anymore. Well, the Nightshade. It's all... My, my I point think is, they would have introduced a few my point, other superheroes. My point the is the whole like notion of the cinematic universe is what's on everybody's mind now, that all the characters have to interact, and mm. they all can all cross over, and Supergirl and The Flash and Arrow are all now all in the same universe. I guess I just think it's interesting so, that they're so stylistically close that mm. they could have. They could have, but I, I don't, wouldn't want to have seen that. I wanted, I wanted the, the Flash to stay in his own corner. All right. Well, uh, next week on Cancel Too Soon, uh, Justice Month of Justice continues, <laughs> and we're going to be talking about an- another failed show. This time only a failed pilot uh, from one of the members of the Justice League. This is a little show called Mercy Reef, a.k.a. Aquaman, uh, <laughs> which I've never seen. I can't wait to watch this failed pilot. It, it was the, the attempt to do what's small. I think it's post-Smallville. Yeah, it was a Smallville so knockoff. It was they were a Smallville knockoff, but with Aquaman. Yeah. Um, but it was just a pilot. <laughs> there, I've heard worse ideas. It's Flipper, but Flipper's a guy. Done. Why not? <laughs> it's a good idea for a show. They call him Aquaman. There, Aquaman. There, was, there was already a show like that. It was called Man from Atlantis. It also lasted only one season, and we plan to get to that at some point. We'll get to that from some point. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so that's coming up next week. We have some, hopefully, some uh, guests coming in, uh, some DC Ske- expert guests. Schedule permitting. Um, and then we have other cool stuff coming uh, throughout the month of Justice Month of Justice. So stick around. Mm. Uh, we think you're going to have a really good time with it. And, um, yeah, and if you want to hear uh, what we thought about the new Justice League movie, we have a new podcast, Critically Acclaimed. That's oh, right. And if you... Brand new. Yeah. Brand new. First like, episode this weekend. Yeah. On Sunday. Sweet. And uh, on that show, we'll be reviewing movies. We'll also be doing uh, double features where our listeners get to pick a really terrible movie for us to watch. And we're going to pair it with a really good movie and try to get an interesting double feature out of it where they sort of complement each other and you can learn something or mm. look at them in a different way that you never thought of before. And it's, it's a really exciting idea. And I'm looking forward to exploring it even more. Um, so that's going on uh, this week. Next week, we'll review Justice League on that mm. show. Um, and uh, then we got Aquaman. And unfortunately, you have to get to your kid. I do. We I do not have time for I, letters I, I, again. Again, I'm so sorry. Okay. Well, we're, we're more caught up than you think. Okay, that's yeah. good. That makes <laughs> yeah, you feel yeah. better. Um, so, but we'll you can email us critically. Uh, critically, that's our, that's our that's our new podcast. Cancel too soon at gmail.com. You can mm-hmm. email us there. Uh, by all means, uh, subscribe on iTunes. Uh, subscribe uh, on Stitcher, wherever you can find it. Leave a review wherever you can find it. If you mm-hmm. can't afford to join us at patreon.com slash cancel too soon, we understand completely. But even just leaving us a review really, really helps. It boosts the signal. If you can't do that, or if you've already done that, tell a friend. 
If you like the show, that'd be really, really great. Listen to one or two episodes. They might like us, yeah. too. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. Uh, we're at Cancelled Cast is the main uh, one for the show. Um, and again, yeah, critically acclaimed, if you go to the Schmozno iTunes feed, they have a whole network of shows. We're going to be airing every Sunday, so just subscribe to the whole feed, mm. and you'll get that. Or if you prefer to listen to it on YouTube, it's going to be on the SK Plus YouTube channel. Mm. So that'll, that, if that's something you prefer to do, you can do that there as well. Uh, so thank you, everybody. Thank you to all of our Patreon subscribers. Uh, thank you to everybody who subscribes in general. Thank you to everybody who has boosted the signal. Thank you to everybody who, who is flashy. <laughs> just flash fans and especially to edward who mailed us those dvds absolutely it was really really great and i'm so glad we got to it so uh, that is a wrap folks we'll see you next season Pew.